This is a Chronicle podcast, bringing you ideas in the service of medicine. From the Chronicle podcast system, this is the NPC podcast of the National Pharmaceutical Congress for July 5, 2023. The NPC podcast is where we discuss and consider the purpose, process and people of the pharma industry, and today, we'll continue the healthcare conversation. This program is presented in cooperation with Impress, Canada's next-generation commercial partner. The industry is rapidly evolving, and Impress is designed to help you evolve with it. Learn more about Impress tailored best-in-class solutions at www.impress.com. Our guest today is Wendy Adams, the General Manager of Galderma Canada. Wendy will join your hosts, Jim, Mark, and Mitch. And to start today's conversation for the month of July, here's Mitch Shannon, CEO of Chronicle Companies. Welcome back to the NPC podcast from the National Pharmaceutical Congress. This is our special Canada Day edition, and I'm your co-host, Mitch Shannon, here in our podcast gondola, which is decorated for the occasion with a couple of maple leaf flags and an Ontario red ensign flag, and also the fleur-de-lis de Quebec. It's there that we find James Shea, the general manager of the Council for Continuing Pharmaceutical Education in Montreal. Jim, happy Canada Day and bon fête nationale. Well, thank you very much. You know, uh, fireworks are outlawed right now, as everybody can imagine. Uh, we're not allowed to to do anything that can create a spark, but hopefully this podcast will. And Maybe we can draw out some fireworks today, you know, a little bit of explosive stuff or who knows. We'll see. And then the burning schoolhouse to wrap it up, right? So another proud Canadian, almost irrationally proud here with us in our uh, condola is the pharmaceutical industry consultant and health policy expert, Mr. Mark McElwain. Mark, if I may ask, why are you so darn proud to be Canadian? irrationally proud well you know we can all love our home and native land get a bit emotional about that and that's okay even if canadians still have a little bit of room for a better approach to some of our problems but you know if you talk to people from other countries they generally have some really positive things to say about canada there's a saying that the american dream is alive and well and living north of the border in canada so Let's hear it for Canada. On that note, a shout out to my attorney and oldest longtime friend, uh, Mr. Jeffrey J. Chapnick, Esquire, who loves to point out Canada is the best country in the world, and I can't disagree. So we are your podcast hosts, known to you as Jim, Mark, and Mitch, because all the patriotic brand names have already been snapped up, such as Shopify and Restylane Eyelight. Since there's no one we'd rather spend Canada Day with than a famous daughter of our nation's capital, and that's our friend Wendy Adams. Hi, Wendy. Hello, everyone. You are the longtime general manager at Galderma Canada, Inc. Can you tell our listeners a little bit more about your organization and its current vision? Yeah, I can. I, I did like the Canadiana being from Ottawa, you know, and I've been to every capital city in uh, Canada, thanks to Dermatology. CDA has their meetings in various places. So I'm going to give my shout out to the Canadiana there. And I'm almost 30 years with Galderma, so I never did go abroad. I really like this country. 
But what can I tell you about Galderma Canada specifically? Well, we are obviously one of the leading dermatology companies, not just in Canada, but worldwide. That is the vision that we have internationally. We function in three different business units. We have an aesthetics business, we have a prescription business, and a consumer business. I've seen multiple iterations of the company over the years. We were part of a Nestle venture years ago, and then about four years ago, we were bought by private equity. And so that's been a very interesting change in uh, business philosophy, for sure. But overall, yeah, what I do like about it is everybody continues to uh, push forward with having Galderma as the leading dermatology company on a global basis. And as you know, we're very international with a large portfolio and lots to look forward to in the future. Wendy, it's Mark. I'm wondering if you can give us some idea about how Galderma Canada differentiates itself in the pharma market and what sets it apart from your competitors. Yeah, I basically alluded to that in how we're structured at the moment. So there's none other company that really has the uniqueness of an aesthetics business, followed by a prescription business and a consumer business. Therein, the Venn diagram lies the commonality of the uh, doctors that we call on. There's definitely uh, overlap with dermatologists. And then we have a bunch of different target audiences that range from obviously plastic surgeons, nurse injectors, prescribing pharmacists as well. Then you've got the whole retail business and then GPs. So, you know, our target audience is quite wide. And though we're really specific to dermatology, we do cover a lot of varying prescribers. That makes us definitely different in the marketplace. Top of that, we do have brands that are in the first or second spot within their disease state. So I think also that's testament to the success we've had, but but it does speak to the value of the products that we have and how they really address the patients in the marketplace. So can you discuss any specific goals or objectives that you've set for yourself in Galderma Canada in the coming years? Well, without going too much into the pipeline, we've been typically a topical business within all three businesses. With the acquisition of the aesthetics business, obviously we went into a more injectables route and now we see that with an emerging biologic that we're looking at and further opportunities within the aesthetics business. So one of the goals obviously is to help transform the business uh, moving away from a topical model to a more biologic and injectables business in the future. We've been very successful. I'm happy to say over the course of my tenure to deliver double-digit growth. And so that's been an objective. And not so much to talk about the financials, but it's pretty hard to continue to do that after, you know, 16 years running the the place. Your numbers get bigger, your double-digit becomes a little harder to make. But in the end, I think, you know, what I've always been striving for is bringing it back to the uh, team as to the input that they're having in the market right? How we're helping the patients, not the prescribers for sure, but also the patients. And Mitch is very well aware that we have a walk for Camp Liberté as a way to unite sort of what we do for the doctor, you know, the products we put on the market, the prescribers that use it, but ultimately how our products do help in a compassionate way, really the kids. And so we do a nice walk every year for Camp Liberté. And I'd have to say, it's been a goal of mine that we continue to raise funds and help send a kid to camp. So I like to use that sort of as a unifying 
point for what we all strive for because sometimes people are caught up in the numbers. They're not always remembering how it helped the doctors and the patients. So we have a lot of patient testimonials right now that we're doing. So I think that, you know, as far as what else makes us unique or how do we bring things together and tie the vision, it's always important that we're hearing not just from the physicians, but we actually have the patients who, you know, send in stories about how the products are helping them, how we've helped their disease state, maybe even how great it's been for the parents to have a week where their child's at camp, where they haven't really been able to, you know, be afforded that free that week because their their child isn't capable of attending what we would call the, you know, community day camp. So I, I think a lot of those things, right, that I've set as objectives, the team is good to, you know, challenge me, I'd have to say, in, in that respect. But we have some good financial objectives that we're after, but we have to know how it serves the end user. Well, it's uh, Jim here. That's a pretty enlightening story as I sit here in my dark basement. And maybe we can go on that fireworks theme now because I'm not going to have much excitement over here. So, uh, you know, I don't want to get too explosive, but maybe you can discuss any recent advancements in the trends, uh, you know, in life sciences related to dermatology that have you particularly excited or, or intrigued it's exciting and a, and a bit daunting. One of the challenges through the tenure of my career is, you know, dermatologists are somewhat limited to about, you know, 600 since the, the day I started. Today, we haven't really seen a huge number of dermatologists, you know, growth. It's not keeping track with the demographics. On that same note, however, of course, now we have prescribing pharmacists, we've got PAs, nurse practitioners, et cetera. So we do see the trend that the government is trying to, in a cost-effective manner, get out there to address the needs, you know, the skincare needs of uh, patients. So I think, you know, multiple venues, we always talk about pharmacies as a gathering spot. Yeah, so there is access. The queue, unfortunately, to see these specialists is, is not shrinking. So I think that's been an ever and ongoing challenge that ideally, you know, if I could go back and, and my ultimate goal would be to crack that nut as to how to shrink the queue. And that's really what I talked to my team about. Anything that we could do to help shrink the time to get the specialist would be a humongous advancement in our healthcare system at the moment. As far as innovations, I guess, are what excites me. Of course, we're looking at entering the biologic space, and it's been for a number of years that biologics within psoriasis, now within atopic dermatitis, and soon to be other areas have been at the forefront. And I'm quite excited that Gellner is going to jump into that pool as well. When we talk about patient stories, what excites me when I hear the success for patients and how these can be life-altering therapies for them. I would like to be able to talk <laughs> in the near future about those similar stories coming from the Galderma offerings. So I see those sort of as a trend, I guess. And then lastly, just because I came off a half-day session on AI, again, sort of these trends that scare you and, I don't know, what do you say, light you up in your fireworks uh, vein, Jim? Uh, yeah, it would be that, yeah, I'm quite interested to some degree. It's not a trend in, in my field, but a trend out there 
how AI, not on the scary side, but how it could really improve our productivity. Because, you know, I think as a general manager, unfortunately, like a lot of physicians, I'm stuck doing a lot of administration. And some of what I see coming in AI is maybe not so relevant to disease state management, but it is to business management where we could maybe get back and focus on what I'd say are the things that matter more than shuffling the papers. That's interesting that you bring up AI. So there's a lot going on out there. So are there any flashy tactics or anything that you do to keep up with the latest developments and and innovations that are out there in the industry or even outside the industry? Yeah, funny enough, that was a little bit the flavor of the half day I was at and recognizing that I really need to up my game. And exposure, right? What I like is learning about AI outside of the industry and then or with outside of even dermatology and then how to bring those best practices or learnings into the company. I would say even though healthcare was flagged as one of the top five industries that was on the forefront of AI, I don't know that every company can say that. And it seemed like being on the forefront wasn't a big jump, right? It was if you're dabbling in it, et cetera. So we're quite interested in improving our digital assets. I don't know that that's necessarily AI, but I did find some, you know, what could I improve on? There's a lot of AI embedded in these type of meetings in Zoom, et cetera. We use Microsoft Teams that were just sort of time savers or efficiencies that I think, you know, for someone like me who, and many who were spread thin, how can we get back some of some time for ourselves, uh, again, to refocus in the areas that we would really like to? I'd like to get out of meetings. So if I could have my little avatar talk to you and I was, I don't know, I'd like to be out golfing, I guess. But, <laughs> you know, if I if I was able to do that, I think I would try to craft a way to manage that. Oh, no, Wendy, the avatar goes golfing. You stay in these Zoom meetings. Yeah, well, I almost feel that way. (laughs) You're listening to Ottawa's own Wendy Adams, GM of Galderma Canada, here on the Canada Day edition of the NPC podcast. So forgive me, Wendy, I'm going to use two of the current cliches of business speak, but how do you foster a culture of innovation and collaboration within your teams? really at the forefront for Galderma at the moment because we are looking at ways to leverage our three businesses. So the collaboration, I'd have to say, is a little bit forced at times. I host meetings with all three businesses, particularly in this case with the marketers because they're developing the assets to put in the hands of the sales team. And it's actually a little bit more about creating awareness, really, about what's available and then you know, from there, it kind of takes off. So, you know, the marketers don't always get the time to be creative. So these sessions do allow them, you know, to think a little bit more innovatively, take from the other business units and and grow within each other. But across the board, that collaboration is facilitated a lot by meetings. And then there's a little bit of, you know, people do like to get once they're in the room i think getting people together and we're not stuck behind the screen you you see that again with people getting back in meetings just that talking right so i think that the other part about innovation i mean innovation requires people to be creatively thinking and engaging with one another springboarding their ideas one from the other taking ideas from other industries and asking and challenging you know perhaps how it could work within their own I think years ago, you know, we used to do sort of the De Bono six hats and 
area, you know, that kind of comes to mind as, as something that stuck with me through my years as to how to bring, you know, creative thinking or think more innovatively in the business. Because when people just get asked, be more innovative, I don't think you just run back and go, okay, great, I'm just going to be, you know, it's like being born, be more strategic, be more financial. Well, you actually have to be, you know, involved in sessions and I guess meetings, discussions that foster that. So the innovation part I found lately has been spurred by the fact that we're back at live meetings and talking to, in my case, I'm talking to the dermatologists and I'm very lucky to have known them for so long that they bring ideas to you, right? Hey, I had this idea, you know, this happened in one one business or I was thinking, they're thinking on your behalf, in fact. So shout out to the doctors that, that come forward and, and brainstorm and, and think for you because, of course, it would help manage their patients or maybe their workload or, or it gives them an, an opportunity to look into research. So I feel overall, obviously, that human engagement is paramount to innovation. But then, yeah, I mean, it's fine to attend an innovation summit. I, I think that can be helpful. But I don't think doing it in isolation is helpful. You have to do it with your peeps, really, right? Like you got to do it with your team and you got to do it with the prescribers and even with the patients, right? Patient forums, that's who we're serving in the end. They can they can at least come up and generate what they're looking for and then we can help solve that for them. And industry peers, consequently the National Pharma Congress, but I'll shut up on that note. There's a, right, there's another idea, right? How do you How do you build your business? Never misses an opportunity, does he? Wendy, it's Mark again. So let's change gears a bit. As a woman in a leadership position, I wonder if you could describe any challenges you faced and how you've navigated them. I mean, I certainly think that, let's face it, DEI, you know, the diversity, that's helped, right? I mean, understanding left brain, right brain, getting a team together that could have more challenging conversations. Women have, you know, obviously come to the forefront in those discussions. Sometimes even the valuation of your company is predicated on that diversity, which we see when we're talking about a PE company that's looking to go to IPO eventually. Those are valuable, which I didn't find it a challenge. I certainly find it interesting. If you want to know a challenge where I found, you know, being a female very visible and relevant was, you know, years that I worked in the consumer business as the key account manager. So that was a really a sea of men that was sort of interesting getting used to being in meetings with lots of men. But that was a sea of men. And, and so but good to know that, you know, there was good commentary and exchange. So I, I think. As a female, I don't know that it's much different than a male, that you rely on your teams, you rely on good insights, you have to have a strong network. I do think it's been great that, that there's more identity, that, you know, diversity, equity, inclusion, those are all really helpful from what, what I see. Unique challenges, I mean, I don't, you know, sometimes I think I was touted, you know, at the time, oh, look, we have a female leader right? You know, oh, good, there's one. There's one in the company. They happen to be in Canada. Fabulous. Oh, she's bilingual. Tick two boxes. That's amazing. So I do think there was a little bit that I, I don't mind that. I think in the end, if it helped on the positive side and grow more female leaders, I think that's good. 
I will say, however, a challenge I do find is sometimes the people, and I'll say the females, feel somewhat guilty if they're not interested in progressing to a more senior role, right? I almost feel like they're telling me they feel they're letting us down. I think, you know, it's a choice for everybody, anyone who's moving into a more senior role who may have to make some sacrifice to their family and travel, et cetera. We all face, it doesn't matter, male, female, et cetera, LGBTQ, all that. It does, you know, everybody faces those exact same challenges and then you have to choose and hopefully you have a good support network like I do at home and a strong partner who is willing to pick up the slack and allow you to kind of, you know, live the dream. Now, when you talked about in the good old days as a key account manager, let's even go before that. You have a bachelor's degree in organizational behavior. And I noticed that a lot of your answers so far have come in that vein. So how has your education impacted your career and, you know, in this industry? I do have a Bachelor of Commerce, so organizational behavior would be one of the courses under it. So I think, you know, from that side, let's go with the organizational behavior. What do I spend a lot of my time doing? I manage financials and I manage people. So absolutely, my background, I'm not a science major. I'm, you know, paid to figure out how the science moves the business forward. And I I like that, particularly enjoy the strategy side of the business. But for sure, looking at people management, that's what it's about. How do you get your team together? How do you motivate them? How do you move them forward? How do you structure it so that there's succession planning? How do you manage that structure within the financial demands of the business? Sometimes we're given headcount limits, right? How do you maneuver and make sure you're encouraging top talent to join your company, that you keep top talent? And then embedded in all of that is managing a P&L, right? So the, it's the art and the science of putting the people on the page and, you know, on those page, those numbers, there's people behind them. So I'm, I would say with a lot of emphasis that my schooling did serve me extremely well in the career, you know, the job that I have now, coupled with the fact that I'm bilingual. So although people say it's an asset, I really do say as a leader in Canada in this field, I mean, half the dermatologists are in Quebec. So, you know, that in itself, that wasn't through my Bachelor of Commerce, but it was uh, part of my education that I went through the immersion program. So science wouldn't have been what I picked. <laughs> uh, I took as few science courses as I possibly could, got through through more of financial side of the education, served me really well. Right. I'm kind of the opposite. I was science through and through, and I always wish that I'd taken more organizational behavior stuff, more psychology, because quite frankly, you're exactly right. It's it's all about the people and the teams you put together and, and how you're able to facilitate everybody working and removing roadblocks, whatever they may be. So yeah, that's something I always thought I needed more of. So there you go. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, people are afraid of math. Let's face it. You know, that's the one subject that, you know, oh my God, why do I have to do numbers? And and if you excel in it, you don't just have to reside in the finance department. Exactly. Well, that's it. That's where you find your great accounting people and great finance people who are also people people. You know, it's nice to find those and they, they can really help you with your business for sure. It's great. So I, I, we're going to start uh, winding down, but we're hoping some some for some s- flashes of brilliance right now. So we're going to invite you to play your word association game. You know, just go ahead and say the first thing that comes to mind flashes in the brain. 
in response to each of the following phrases or words. Uh, you ready to go? I am. Okay, leadership. Challenging. Life sciences. What is that? Life science, what is that? <laughs> Good question. <laughs> there you go, nice. <laughs> what is that? Innovation. Innovation. Uh, well, I said it, creative. Creative. Success. Being surrounded by good people. It's about people. Diversity. Many, 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 many things. Empowerment. Decision making. Nice. Uh, what, what you don't know is I've been holding a meter and, and calculating the Lux and Einsteins of how bright all those flashes were. And it's, uh, it's a huge amount, uh, gentlemen. I, I think there's a huge amount of Lux and Einsteins uh, given for those, uh, for those answers. It's not like the family feud where now someone else is going to get up and see if they can match my... Uh... We could try that, but we know it, with this panel, we would be just so bad at it. <laughs> well, I was going to say it's exactly like the family feud. Uh, Richard Dawson is waiting to come on any minute now. Okay, so finally, it's time to put on your soothsayer's hat and enter our prognostication corner. So what bold predictions would you like to make about that life sciences industry during the next year or two? The, the what's life sciences industry? Um, yeah, I think that gives you carte blanche to talk about anything then. <laughs> yeah, yeah, really. Um not a big visionary, to be quite honest. I'm a good strategist. I mean, I think economics factor into some of these things, but I'll go back to the scary AI. I don't like the scary part of AI, but I like the real positive part about AI and how I would really like to see the productivity move out of writing proposals, et cetera. I do like, you know, I do like you could populate words and boom, you got something better than I could produce it. And, and take that and, and own it and don't worry about plagiarism and then get a little bit more to the patients. So I see AI and I don't even know the tip of AI, to be quite honest with you. I think AI's got such a deep reaching opportunity, an accelerator to it. And absolutely, there's going to be applications that, that I have no idea about that will, you know, apply to our industry. I remember years ago, and, and I was all I'm hoping still that it will come to fruition is, you know, the phone, the phone is really going to be an instrument that we are underusing for diagnostic reasons, ability to, you know, trend wise, don't worry about getting people's addresses, et cetera, and emails, get their get their phone number. Make sure you get their phone number because I see all kinds of savings that could be had. That's the reduce the queue, right? I'd love to reduce the queue from booking appointments and doing tests and having to drive places versus, you know, you have a test that can attach to your, you know, sort of like how the credit card is working on the phones. So Mitch, I'm sure you're on top of all of this and you're going to call me afterwards and run me through everything that I don't know that's already in existence. But I do see, you know, besides AI, I see the trend of the phone playing a much more active role in healthcare management. And it's not just apps. It's not just an app for that. I I'm just think there's better diagnostic tools that can be attached, like the credit card system, that we can, you know, manage ourselves in our own home in some maybe, you know, situations where, you know, we're not as well as we'd like to be. It's Jim here. 
over COVID, my dermatologist said, send me a picture. When you're sending your dermatologist a picture, it's saving him, what, 12 minutes out of the 14, and it's saving you an hour and a bit. So I see this happening, and he's about to retire, and he said, don't worry, they're going to replace me real quick because it's all going to be, we're sending pictures to everybody, and 80% of my business is just looking at something, and then, you know, if it's dry, wet it, if it's wet, dry it, (laughs) you know? Exactly. So that should be interesting. So he was actually saying that dermatology is maybe one of the places where AI may be working because they're already working with just getting a picture out of the, off the phone now. So, you know. Yeah. And think about the kids too, right? Like, you know, this other gen or this generation, like think of what they're bringing forward. That that's, you know, I'm, I'm always at work saying to people of my vintage, let's say where, you know, they're wearing their earbuds in the meeting. And I'm like, well, they're going to be the managers of the future, guys. Like, it's not for them to adapt to us. We have to adapt to them. So I think just a little bit by the natural succession here where people are going to be forced into that more digital role. But I do, the phone for me is it. I think there's a, another generation coming that'll push us there. Yeah, supposedly one of the three specialties is going to be disrupted first by all this. But Wendy, Wendy, I'm going to give you the courtesy of waiting until after the long weekend to get a hold of you to talk about this some more. Thank you. No problem. And I think it's a really important point. We have to keep that in mind going forward. Change is inevitable. So Wendy, it's always fun spending time with you. And AI is simply no substitute for that. And it's been uh, inspiring seeing how you helmed Galderma through its, uh, how, how do I call it, through its amazing race in the last couple of decades. In particular, I want to thank you for your leadership in a lot of charitable work, notably the uh, Camp Liberté Walk and Camp Liberté itself, which is a great cause that our listeners will want to check out by going to the website. That's uh, www.camplibertay.ca. If you're able to contribute, you'll make some kids very happy this summer. So meanwhile, thanks everyone for listening, and we will speak to you again next week. If you've got questions for Wendy, just send an email to health at chronicle.org. And remember that we always invite your comments about today's conversation. If you dare, attach your question as a voice clip, you might just become part of a future episode. We hope you enjoyed today's NPC podcast. If you did, please like it, rate it, recommend it, and make a point of sharing it with your network. You can find us at Apple iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts, or just ask your smart device to play the National Pharmaceutical Congress podcast on Audible, Spotify, Amazon Music or TuneIn Radio. The NPC podcast is presented in cooperation with Impress, Canada's next-generation commercial partner. Learn more at www.impress.com. I'm your announcer, Leona Void, speaking. This podcast was produced by Jeremy Visser, with help from Kylie Rebenick. Research for this program came from John Evans. The musical theme is performed as always by the NPC Studio Orchestra, under the direction of Maestro Gunsel Milbrook. We'll speak again soon.